welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Um... This should be a pretty cool podcast. I've got a longtime buddy of mine, John Severson, on the phone. What's up, Johnny? Just plugging along up here. How are you? Good. Good. Always good. Always smiling. Yeah. Yeah, what, you are. John is um John's one of the head honchos at Faradine now. Uh now that Faradine's like the biggest company in archery. But he used to be in this did they ever call did they ever call it an office where you originally <laughs> used to call home there well, at the rage factory well we did and and you know i i started here in uh, our connor's point facility which is our the main office which was field logic um back in 2005 and i was a i was a sales rep prior to that and so i had uh I'd been involved with the Field Logic brand since 1999 or 98 when I started um, in this industry. I was in retail prior to that, but then I started as a sales rep in 99, I guess it was. And uh, so that was my first ATA show, was 1999. And, and uh, so I've always kind of been involved with Field Logic. I was one of the reps for Field Logic for several years. And then when we um, decided to start Rage Broadheads, um, you know, we had a couple different people up here. There was three of us, well, four of us when we first started the company and, and, uh, I was going to be the broadhead guy and, and one of my other partners, Chad, he was going to be the, uh, the target guy. And so, uh, my job was to get rage broadhead started and, and, uh, build it up and, and do that. And so, and then, so we did that from 2006 was our first ATA show when we launched it. And then, uh, we kept it for several years and built the brand and got it to where it was. And then we ended up uh, carving it out and we sold it to a private equity group, which is a group of bankers in uh, 2011. And when we did that rage was kind of always my baby. And uh, I knew it had a lot more potential to grow. So that's when I, I left uh, field logic and um, went out in this new venture, which we called rage outdoors at the time. And that's when we had the, the little box office in our other building over there. So, but now I'm, we ended up buying a few more companies and did several things throughout the years. And we ended up um, selling to another private equity group in 2014. And then in 2015 bought my old company back, which was field logic. So now I'm right back in the office that I was in, in 2005. <laughs> so kind of full circle. That's <clears throat> hilarious. Now, when, um, when I first met you, were you wrestling at lacrosse then? Yeah, I had just gotten done, and when uh, yeah, we used to uh, ice fish. I'd see you ice fishing all the time, but I was wrestling lacrosse then. Yeah, yeah, when you were. Yeah, I was just starting at Matthews then. Yeah, yep. I was just just starting at Matthews. Um, yeah, that's it's funny how the how everything's gone full circle, and um, you know, it's such a good example too of just everything everything about some of the paths of the industry, like people don't pay attention to the paths of the industry and how small it really is. And, 
Um, I don't even know if I talked to you about this, but um, I left. I made an announcement that I left Under Armour uh, about a, two weeks ago, I guess. And uh, it was a very cordial separation. And I really wanted to set an example to the industry on what that is like um, or wh- how it should be. Um, because the industry's small and things, you never know what's going to happen. And the same could easily be true with you know everything that has to do with uh, you and I still working together now. Um, Fairdyne and Field Logic and Rage Outdoors, they up, they've all taken really unique paths. And there were certainly times where... Um, where there was like, well, at one time when I was, um, working with trophy taker, I kind of had limitations on not being able to do anything with you, even though you were with rage outdoors and then just through patience, that stuff ends up working itself out. Um, whereas if you kind of, from a shooter's point of view or, or an ambassador's point of view, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to, to not be loyal or, or be a, a dink and, um, you know, if, if you do that, it's just, you're never going to have longevity in the industry. You know, everything that you just said is a lot of relationships that just continue to come around at different points throughout your career. And I just think it's so valuable that people recognize that and recognize that the people that are behind this industry and the main faces, you know, people like yourself, um, you know, you guys, it's a small world and the leaders of all these companies sit at the same tables a lot of times throughout the year and what people do and how they, how they impact a company usually negatively, you know, rings, rings pretty loud. And, and oftentimes even when you're impacting positively, it could be a big advantage for you too. If, if you're, if you're a good ambassador. So that was a good, yep. a good example. No, and I mean, yeah, and you can't be you can't be more true in what you're saying because you know I've been around this for a long, long time, and I, you know, I've known a lot of different people in, uh, you know, throughout my years in this business and in this industry, and and that's it's a hundred percent true because I remember you know when we were just a little mom pa company back in the you know the early two thousands, and and uh, that's the one thing I have is a good memory, so. Um, I remember how people were when they first started. I remember how they are now. I remember, you know, how, well, I'll use a prime example, you know, in 2007, I think, um, Carbon Express came out with a broadhead that uh, they called the F-15. And we were, at that time, we had basically three SKUs in the Rage line. And, and uh, we had done, we had, had been doing really well as a company. And they had come out with these two new broadheads and, and uh, they marketed against us. And up until that point, I always shot Carbon Express arrows. And, uh, so they always marketed against us with their broadheads and their designs. And they, they had a, a video that they played at the ATA show where they shot a basketball and uh, they shot it with a Rage 3 blade and they shot it with their broadhead and they were showing that, you know, it cut this big hole and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so they, they went straight after us and, and um, you know, I remember it plain as day. And then, you know, lo and behold, uh, a year and a half ago, we buy that company. And uh, so we bought that and Lenny, who works, uh, he's, worked he's been with carbon express forever i always bust his chops about that i said lenny i said you know i still remember when you you marketed right against our broadheads and he's like i know i know and uh but anyway it's just funny you know we ended up buying that company and now uh you know we sell those sell the broadheads and do all the different stuff so lots of things change and and uh this industry is ever changing and 
and that's so true to, you know, be a good guy and, you know, those things pay, you know, they pay dividends at the end of the day. So it's a good deal. Well, hopefully you don't mind. I'm actually going to go one step further. I'm going to use myself as an example with you guys. <laughs> it was awkward, yeah. but it, Hey, the thing is, it is what it is. And, uh, so just so everyone knows there was through one of the acquisitions, um, like you said, there was a big changeover in kind of the powers that be. And obviously when you're dealing with, with, with big powers like that, a lot of things really start to just come down to black and white. And, um, at the time, my relationship with, with John and with, um, field logic at the time, my contract was written. It was actually written fairly lazy because it wasn't itemized out on all the different things that I did to help the company. All it was, was a TV contract because, I think when it came to writing a contract, that was just really easy for someone to take contracts that were already approved at the company and just literally copy and paste it, put knock on TV on there. And then here I am. I'm just, you know, I'm literally in black and white. I'm just a TV show. And what happened was uh, a few years back, I think it was December, wasn't it? It was like December. Um, you guys had a big corporate meeting and you know, it was, it was kind of powers even above you just literally made a, you know, had all these expenses written on a chalkboard and they just literally drew a line across there and everyone below this line was just terminated. And I was terminated and I actually got a termination call. I think it was like a few days before Christmas, (laughs) the new marketing, the new marketing guy came in and literally, uh, called me and, and, kind of broke the news to me and I was pretty bummed out. I was really bummed out because you guys, um, one, you acquired me through field logic, but also field logic acquired me when they bought Sherlock. So technically, you know, I've been with Sherlock over 20 years and been with Larry for sure. Half that for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I there was a lot of different routes I could go. I could have easily jumped on the first, you know, the first site company that came to me and said, "Well, here we shoot our sites now," or um, target companies or broadheads or anything. But you know, I just kept telling you, I'm just like, "Hey, man, I'm just gonna fly circle patterns because I'm I use these products because I love them." And I really believe in the products and it's what I have, you know, it's what my own personal equipment is. And you know what, that loyalty and, you know, just the ability to, to kind of prove that you're there for the right reasons for the company, not, not just for, you know, what the company is going to give you. You're also there for the company that the, or the product the company has. And it's been a very sustainable relationship. So I just, I really want to urge people out there. There's so many people that are utilizing social media as a marketing platform to try to become a pro staff or become a, an ambassador. And listen, your ability to screw things up is almost more than it ever has been. So tread lightly and recognize that, that loyalty and you know recognizing that there's only so many bridges in the industry if you start burning those suckers, you're going to find yourself stuck in the middle of a bunch of them, and that's not going to be healthy for anybody. So take my advice on that one. 
Yeah. No, that's good advice because it is. It's you know, there's a lot of there. You can you can screw up really fast on social media, and I've seen it time and time again. You know, especially over the past several years, where it's really become a powerful tool, and and uh, you know, it's you know one thing that that I've always prided myself on, and you know, us as a team, we we pride ourselves on the fact that you know when we when we look at products or develop products or do the different things that we do, um, we never we've never gone after one of my competitors like straight up. Here's my broadhead versus this broadhead, you know. I've never done that. I've never saw that as a, a a positive thing to do. And, you know, this is, this is all kind of part of it as to why, you know, I, I could end up, we could end up owning that company in, in another six months. And if I got done bashing it, um, you know, <laughs> that with the fact that, you know, it just, it doesn't make any sense. And what, you know, we've always prided ourselves on showing what we do and, and how we do it well. And it doesn't matter which brand it is, if it's a block target or a, um, a Rage Broadhead or a Muzzy Broadhead or a, a Carbon Express Air or whatever the case may be, we talk about the positive things that, that our product does and why it's a good choice for you to try and use this product um, versus, you know, this this thing, you know, this, this Broadhead versus this Broadhead and, you know, this one is not good because it, it doesn't shoot through a three-quarter inch piece of plywood or whatever the case may be. I don't we don't do that kind of stuff, and, and uh, this is exactly why we don't. So yeah, yeah, and there's only been a few times in my in my I guess time in the industry where I've actually gone out and kind of I guess verbally spoke against marketing that way, and I feel like when people when people try to belittle other products rather than really focus on what you know what's best about theirs i think that's a problem and that's why when people ask me why don't you use this or why aren't you using this product anymore or why aren't aren't you using them anymore um i'm not going to go into the details of why just recognize that if i'm not there's probably there's at least a valid reason for myself as to why but all i want to talk about is where i'm going because really that's what matters most and I applaud you guys for doing that too. It's uh it's easy to go down that road and you guys have just done a good job of really focusing you focus more attention on bringing out new product every year and I don't know oftentimes you and I kind of you, you guys bring out stuff so much to where I'm like Ah, slow down. <laughs> let's let's just let's do one and really like nail it. And you know, you guys are just you're going so fast, um, which has its has its positives as well. Um, you're obviously bringing a lot of innovation to the industry, but um, yeah, a lot of times I'm like I'm a little bit more methodical in my method, but I guess it doesn't matter. That, that's not my call. That's your call. I just have to to shoot what the end result is and. The tripan is a prime example of that. I fre- I freaking love that head, and I remember you guys came out with that thing so fast. Literally, I I think uh, I think you sent me two, and you're like, mm-hmm. hey, you're like, hey, this is coming out, and I'm like, well, I haven't even tested it yet or shot it yet. You're like, yeah, no, it's coming, and <laughs> and yeah, that thing. That that's a perfect example. That thing's murderous. I love that head. Yeah, and we've we've 
been doing this a long time and you know part of the reason one you know where why we are where we are in the market you know and and uh we we try to lead the industry in in innovation and all the things that we do and we've learned a lot over the years too as to how to bring new products to market and when we bring new products to market and you know we always have ideas and and things that we want to do but you know i kind of learned my lesson in 2012 when we we first designed the extreme broadhead and and uh you know the extreme broadhead was it's just an awesome broadhead and and truly you know at the time it was innovative because it was you know 2.3 inch cut it utilized this new shot color that we had designed all these different features that we had built into it and we came out with that and and i think part of it was that i was so full of piss and vinegar um having just started to be able to do a lot of the things that i wanted to do having left um, field logic just prior to that that i i had all these ideas and i'm like we got to do this we got to do this and and uh we came out that extreme and then the next year we came out with the hypodermic well the extreme never really got a chance to live because we came out with this hypodermic which was everyone was like holy crap you know this is this is the broadhead and in you know that broadhead that particular broadhead the hypodermic is sold more than than any other broadhead that's ever been made um in it throughout its life so we wanted to give that broadhead a chance to to live for a while before we came out with with the tripan because we knew the tripan um, you know, was going to be an awesome broadhead and it had a lot of cool features that, that, uh, the other broadheads that we've made didn't. And we kind of took what we've learned throughout the years with, you know, things that maybe people wanted better in a broadhead. And it was kind of the culmination of that. And, and it truly is. I mean, in my opinion, if I left today and went to go work for another broadhead company, I would probably still shoot a tripan because it, it is that good of a broadhead. I mean, it's, it's really tough to beat with, the way that that shot collar is designed, you know, it's keyed so that it, it's got to be indexed a certain way. It can't go on wrong. Um, it's got a big sweeping blade angle, two inch cut. It's a titanium ferrule that's super tough. Um, it's just a an awesome, awesome broadhead. And I, I truly would, you know, when I'm when I can shoot my bow, um, I would shoot <laughs> that that broadhead at any animal on the North American continent and be very confident in it. So. Oh yeah. And I agree with that 100%. Yeah, people keep asking me, they're like, what are you going to shoot? And I said, well, I'm probably going to shoot a tripan first. I may, last year, I don't know if I told you, but last year I shot two of my whitetails with uh, trocars. I don't even know why. I was literally in a, in a stand and I saw this buck coming and I had my tripan on and I always, I always carry one fixed blade in my quiver. And the trocars mm-hmm. shoot really, really well um, with my tripans. So I'm like, I just looked at it, and I th- I think it was because Rogan asked me about freaking fixed blades so much. And I'm just like, you know yeah, what? I'm just going to shoot this damn trocar. And I freaking just smoked that thing. And it was it almost felt like like some type of an old, like an old pastime or something. And I literally the next it was in oklahoma and you could shoot you can shoot two bucks there so about uh i don't know i think it was two days later i uh had another buck that was coming and i'm like i'm gonna shoot a muzzy again and i shot him with a with a trocar that other buck but then as soon as i got home I'm like okay i've got my fix now i'm <laughs> i'm going back to my yeah. back to my tripans but uh it was it was well, fun. it was fun, but uh, yeah, there's just something about 
you know, there's something, it doesn't matter what animal. It literally doesn't matter. If someone says, well, are you going to shoot it on a moose? Uh, hell yeah, I'll shoot it on a moose. Doesn't matter, doesn't bother me one bit to shoot it on a moose. There's just something about how those things, the damage they do, and the amount of times where I'm like, oh man, that is not a good hit. And then it bails you out. It bails you out of trouble. And uh, yeah. for me, it's like, you know, I told, I told Rogan, I said, there's, you know, cause he, one of the, one of the complaints about expandables and it's not a fair complaint because design, design affects this so much. But one of the main complaints is when you hit a solid arm bone that you just don't get the penetration like you would with the, with a fixed blade. And depending on what you're comparing, yes, that could that could certainly be true. Um, some of the older style broadheads that, you know, the blades were much further back and they had to open a certain way and even the diameter of the ferrule and stuff. Yeah, that some of that's true. But what I will say is that arm bone that you're talking about is like less than 10% of that, that body, that body mass and you if that arrow hits anywhere else in that 90% and two and a half inches of freaking tripans ripping through there it just devastates things and i'm going with the odds and the odds are 90% versus 10 and honestly the tripan's a poor example of that because the the tripan has has such a very sharp point that it's it's a bone buster um but if you compare it to you know just i guess what most people would classify as you know the average expandable um yeah you might not have the penetration if you're going to compare all expandables versus certain fixed blades but i just go against the fact of if i make a bad hit i can tell you right now and and honestly, if you have a hundred bow hunters in a room and you're like, all right, everybody, you're going to shoot a deer or an elk and you're going to shoot it through the guts. What broadhead do you want? I'll guarantee you everyone will be a freaking <laughs> a rage extreme lover at that moment. Everyone's going to yep. point at that rage. And the, the thing is, unless you're hitting literally this small percentile of the animal you don't have to you're gonna want that bigger cut and you're gonna want the damage that that thing does i mean i i'm a firm believer in that yeah and that's we've always said you know it's it's the best bad hit broadhead that's ever been made and you know let's face it like you and i both i've hunted a lot and uh i've been all over the world and, and hunted some of the biggest animals you could possibly imagine down to, you know, just anything you can imagine really. And, you know, you don't always make a perfect shot. You don't. And, uh, you know, having that advantage of that bigger cut, you gives you a much better chance of recovering, recovering your animal, you know, and, and I guess what it boils down to. And that's one of the things that we've always prided ourselves on is, you know, you as a hunter have a fiduciary responsibility to, to, most ethically kill that animal that you possibly can as quickly as you can and and 
having a bigger cut, having the things that, that Rage Broadhead gives you, um, it gives you that advantage to, to really ethically harvest that, that animal that you're going after. And, and you know, that, that confidence that, that it, sh- it should give you um, that you're going to do the right thing, that's a big part of, of what's made us who we are today. Yeah, I agree. And I didn't want this to be, I, I can promise everyone out there, I did not want this to be a big rage ad. I just know that John has a super vast knowledge of broadheads and different companies and the processes and the, you know, the pros and cons of a magnitude of things, which I want to get into. But one of the things that you just brought up that's that's relative as well is I really feel like we do have this code of ethics to do whatever we can for recovery and that's why i have just never understood why lighted knocks i mean were not accepted everywhere because they're they don't aid in the actual killing of the animal they aid in the in the ethical recovery of the animal and your ability to recognize your shot placement the ability for you to find your arrow and and I think, you know, promote, keep bow hunting promoted in the correct way because you're not going to have to worry about, you know, some, some landowner, you know, driving across your arrow or you're not going to have to worry about someone out in public land, you know, finding this bloody arrow that's laying there. I just feel like lighted knocks were, they, those, that was a huge innovation for the industry. It's obvious they look awesome to fly through the air no doubt but the amount of times where i've been able to to find my arrow which would be an arrow that's just out there with the blade on it or the amount of times where i've i've literally went back and watched my footage and been like man i thought that that arrow was better than that but you know what i better give that thing a couple hours um or i had um i'm trying to think where it was did i ever tell you about the the I had a, uh, I think it was a hog that I shot that went and it ended up like launching into this pond and died. And I, I thought it had run past the pond. I looked everywhere for it, but that night I, it was just bugging me so bad that I went back and I ended up seeing the knock glowing under the water and was able to, to pull this thing out. Um, and there's been a ton of times where I've shot, um, I've shot, bucks that are in crp like like down in kansas the crp grass just gets so tall and having the ability to find that animal um because that arrow is right there with it lit up i think i think it's valuable i think it's ethical and i wish everybody would have recognized the value to lighted knocks rather than you know just letting them fall under some stupid ancient rule Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I guess I'm a, you know, I'm a member of Pulp and Young, obviously. And I'm, I'm a, a lifetime member. And that was one of the biggest things why I got reengaged in Pulp and Young a couple years ago it was a big, in large part, um, for the lighted knock aspect of it. And, you know, when you look at those archaic rules and, and some of the things that, that the rules that are out there, they are just that archaic. And, and, you know, you're not, you're, you're, Again, you're giving that animal a better chance of, you know, having a, when it comes to recovering the animal, when it comes to seeing where you hit, just like you said, I mean, it, 
it makes all the difference in the world when you can see that. And let's face it, most times, uh, most animals that you're hunting, it's either going to be, you know, fairly early in the morning or, you know, later in the afternoon or evening when you're going to get that shot at them. And, you know, it's hard to see your arrow a lot of times. And, and having that light at knock gives you that advantage to know when you need to go after it. Give it some time. Do the things you have to do so that you give that animal the best chance that it could possibly get. And, yeah, lighted knocks are um, – it's one of the things that, that we have. You know, we've, we've got some really, some really cool um, – features we got this new strobing one that we came out with last year and and uh you know and a lot of people like that it, it, it really catches your eye when it flies through the air and so yeah they're, they're <laughs> it does uh, more than that dude cool. yeah when i i practiced with six of them the other day i made i actually made a post and i was i shot six of them and i literally had to like turn my head <laughs> when i was walking down to my target i was like I thought I was going to turn into a zombie or something. It was like sending me these crazy, it, they're flashing so bright and so, so intensely that when you've got like six or seven of them going at different times, my brain mm -hmm. did not know what to do. Yeah. We had to actually, when we designed that, we had to time it so that it, there's a certain threshold to where a strobing light like that will cause epileptic seizure and so we had to set our set our level of strobes per minute at a certain level so that it was not going to cause epileptic seizure so that was one that's the type of stuff that we got to think about when we're <laughs> we're doing uh designing products and doing different things you, you would never think of that but yeah that was one of the things we had to think of what's um we didn't want you to seize. one of the things i want to talk about which i this is a big reason why i have value in companies you know, back when I started with Sherlock, I I just really valued Steve Gibbs um, as a person, as a designer. Um, you know, he's he's just one of those people where he's just super sharp. And you guys have some super sharp guys in your engineering department. And, you know, those guys, oftentimes I feel like they don't get enough credit for how freaking crafty they are because in the end you're you're kind of only seeing them at the ata show a lot of times they don't really come out and and get to to talk about all the things that actually go into some of these thought processes but your guys are so freaking sharp you know they're they're really on the ball about things and and i think in the probably in the past five or six years the the level of kind of innovation that's coming out of there is is much higher and those guys are really the reason behind that i mean they're they're just they're really smart about tools that they have the tools that they can get tools that they do have um and their ability to like you know do certain angles or combine certain materials or you know get certain sharpnesses i mean all that stuff's a credit to those guys and something that most people don't don't recognize is a lot of times people can come up with a good idea for a broadhead but they also don't have a freaking clue about some of the most important aspects to what will make that product actually a quality product and a good idea goes down the toilet and you know one example of that i don't even know if i ever told you this one example of that is whack em. so back i'm trying to think it was 2000 
five or six, um, one of my buddies told me about Wacom's. And at the time, it was owned by Scott, I think his name was. And I got a pack. I still have I still have a couple of the very first Wacom's. And I remember I was doing some long range, um, some long range uh, ballistic charts for Easton. And I was doing some stuff with broadheads too. And he heard about that. So he called and said, Hey, can you like throw my broadhead in with this mix? So I shot them and I couldn't, they were freaking accurate. I mean, the original Wacom was so accurate. Um, and, and I think later G5 kind of ripped it off with the striker. Um, very, I mean, I say ripped it off, but yeah, it was pretty much a spitting image, but they kind of capitalized on at the time, Scott came up with a cool design and a cool shape. It was a quiet head. It was really freaking accurate, but I ended up going on a hunt, like on his second batch, I think. Once he got to the point where he was big enough to where he had to find someone to make his blades, like, you know, that's the problem with a lot of companies. When you're a certain size, you can make onesie twosies and stuff like that, or batches of 100 or 200. But then once you get to the point where everyone's liking them and you're having to tool up and ramp up to where you're having to find vendors to help you with stuff, then you're at the mercy of vendors. And Scott ended up finding some blade manufacturer. I don't know who they were, but literally when you would shoot something with the broadheads, there wouldn't be hardly any blood there. Like I shot, I think I shot six animals and there was just no blood. And then I called a a buddy of mine that, that was working with Scott and he ended up spilling the beans. He's like, yeah, we're getting quite a few complaints on that, but Scott has no idea what the heck's why. And you know, it's those little things that make a difference you guys recently acquired Wacom, didn't you? Yep, we did. Yeah, so About a year so just the ability to have someone that's there understanding blade angles and you know sharpness and and hardness uh, is gonna you know it, it's it's gonna do wonders for the company because you have a design that flies awesome, but. At least when he had it, I think it changed. Who who bought it next? Did Scott buy it? No. Nope. Uh, basically, when it, it sold, um, his mom uh, took it. Scott's mom took it over at one time. I know because she called yep. me and Scott's, Scott's mom took it over, and then Mike Stroff bought it from. That's right. Um, that yep. th- that's right. Um, we bought it from Mike Stroff. So now that you have it, obviously you're able to bring in a lot of the knowledge and stuff that you guys have on obviously blades. There's frick a rage tripan. You can your eyes will bleed if you open up the pack and stare at it too long. So yeah. and yeah, and we're able to take you know we own five broadhead companies. So I mean there's uh you know there's a lot of different things we can do with all these different brands and whack them. You know, what we decided to do with that brand is make it a dealer-only brand, so it's it's only available to dealers. Like, they can't sell it online or do different things. And so we're, we're able to take that, that company and put some cool technologies into the that line. And, you know, we've been able to do that. And we're, that's one of the things that we're working on that you'll see 
this year as we launch um, a lot of our new products, there's going to be some pretty cool technologies in that Wacom brand um, that we're, we're putting in there to, um, to spice it up, if you will. Yeah, that's so. cool. I actually want to see that because I made a post today. Um, I get asked so many questions about like my arrow configuration, my arrow build. So I pretty much told people I'm going to shoot two different mechanicals. I'm going to either shoot a tripan or I'm going to, I think I'm going to take that new Rage Extreme uh, with me to Alberta and see how that goes. Um, and then for fixed blades, I'm either going to shoot a trocar or the next one that I thought, because I'm shooting a four fletch right now, is I was actually going to to order some of those, uh, some Wacoms in a four blade because I remember how well those things shot. They shot extremely accurate. Um, and now that you guys have your kind of blade technology on there, I'm, I'm eager to, to go after it again. Yeah, they're, it's a good head and, you know, they're, uh, they're tough to beat. You know, we've got a, you know, I know that like when you talk about Rogan and, uh, I know he's buddies with Cameron Haynes and Cameron Haynes is really big on that, that trocar head and, and the guys out in Oregon, his Cam's buddy, uh, Wayne Endicott that owns the bow rack out in Oregon and, uh, Oregon, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, they, uh, they love that head out there. And, and, uh, in fact, I just went out to Oregon, um, in June, early June and, and, uh, talked to the state, um, uh, commissioner's board on, trying to get mechanical broadheads legalized in Oregon. And, and, uh, you know, I had to have a talk and sat in front of this, this panel and, and talked about different broadheads and how they work, what they do. And, uh, evidently I was kind of the, the nation's voice for, um, mechanical broadheads, but, you know, I told them, yeah, (laughs) I told them the same thing that, uh, that I'm, you know, I tell anyone, you know, we own five different companies, so this isn't like a sales pitch for rage because as much as I, gain i'm gonna gain in mechanical broadhead sales my fixed blade sales will probably hurt you know the the first couple years out here and so you know it's about having people make the decisions that they want to make and use the broadhead that's right for them you know everybody makes a good broadhead um that's in this industry right now you know there's there's a lot of good broadheads out there and and, uh you know i just think that you know when it comes down to it you know it's it's what makes you confident and gives you that confidence um because that's what archery is about and and John, you know, you, you taught me a lot, you know, when it comes to, to how you shoot and being confident in what you do and, and being confident in yourself. And if you don't have that confidence, you can. And, you know, John helped me last year when I was having some trouble with target panic and, and, uh, you know, he got me back on track to where, you know, you get stuff gets in your head and if it gets in your head, you're, you're screwed basically. So, um, you know, having that confidence, whether it's the broadhead, the arrow, the whatever part of your bow that you're using that, you know, trust in your equipment is, is a huge part of archery because you gotta, you have to have your mind right. So, you know, what I, well, and the reality is what I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of hunters and this is reality, but there are a lot of hunters that go out there. And they literally shoot their bow like three days before season starts. And, or they just go into a store and say, yeah, can you hook me up with that brand new RX-1 and, you know, give me a dozen arrows and I'm heading out. I mean, if you asked archery shops how many guys do that the weekend before hunting season, it's it'd blow your mind. And with that said, 
those guys are going to be more ethical as hunters if you put a broadhead on there that is literally going to shoot as close to a field point as possible because i can guarantee you most guys aren't going to go buy a pack of 40 dollars fixed blade heads and shoot one for a day into a target they're not they're just going to assume right. that it that it shoots right and then they're going to go out there and they're going to make a bad hit and they're already probably not you know some people aren't seasoned enough to know what to do on a bad hit so then they they end up just uh you know bumping that animal and then losing it and you know when it comes to what we should do to be the most ethical and have the most ability to recover our animals things like a fixed blade head are a positive thing or a mechanical head or a positive thing i think Maybe having rules for fixed blade heads for people that are a certain poundage shooter is just smart. You know, I wouldn't let Sharon go out and shoot a mechanical head shooting, you know, 40 pounds. Um, I would just let her shoot a trocar. Um, And it's going to get better penetration. You know, she's just not shooting a lot of weight. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's right to say overall that, you know that this isn't ethical because it's it arguably is more ethical for the guy that doesn't know how his bow shooting and that's a lot of people it's sad but it's true it's a lot of people yep and that's you know when you talk about targets you know historically that's why block targets came to be um when they first were designed back in 1997 because back in those days, and I was in retail those days, and that was exactly the case. You know, the day before opening day, we would sell more bows than you could imagine, bows and equipment, people buying all the stuff, getting ready. They're going to go hunt tomorrow. And and uh, back in those days, there wasn't a good target. And, there, and back in those days, mechanical broadheads weren't as big of a deal. You know, there was a couple, but it was mostly fixed blade broadheads. And people, there wasn't a good way to shoot fixed blade broadheads there wasn't a good target that was out there to shoot fixed blade broadheads into and to try to get hunters to shoot fixed blade broadheads so that they know because a fixed blade broadhead most times is not going to fly like your fuel point like you have to you have to adjust whether it's your equipment or just where your point of impact is or whatever you've got to adjust for it and so that's why the block target came to be back then and and you know, Larry, my old partner, when we he came up with the idea and he started with a, you know, a round rolled uh, layered foam target. But the problem was that you couldn't get the center of that target tight. Well, everybody's going to want to shoot at the center of the target. They always do. And so that's where the the idea and the, the original patent came from to have the layered foam in a, in a block fashion like that with uh, the, the board on the top and the bottom. And what it does is it gives that target what's called center compression so that it's equally as tight in the upper left-hand corner as it is in the center. Anywhere that you look on that target, it's equally um, tight. And so that allowed for people to shoot field points, fixed blade broadheads, mechanical broadheads, whatever they wanted to shoot into that target. And it was going to stop it no matter what. And that's what made the block target so popular is that you could shoot anything you wanted to into it. And it lasted a long, long time. You know, we, we had a, an ad that we used to run back in probably when I first started as a rep, which was 1999, that we had a target that was shot 18,691 times. I know it, that number off the top of my head, because we talked about it time and time again. 
how many shots that target took and and uh so practice 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 and that was our goal is to try to get people to really shoot those fixed weight broadheads and 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 know them and be ethical hunters more than anything yeah the well two things one i remember going i remember (laughs) there used to not be broadhead targets i mean that is true i remember my club like i think it was always the weekend before hunting season we would have a broadhead shoot and they would litter and almost all archery clubs literally had sand banks remember that they were like sand banks and they were behind you know they would there was there was these two rods with a steel cable that went across and they would clip you know animal pictures and they would take the animal pictures they would glue them on a big flat piece of cardboard and they would clip the cardboard on this little stand that was literally about two or three feet i think in front of those banks and you would literally shoot and your broadhead would pass through the target and stick in the bank and then everyone you'd shoot your target and then you'd go up and just grab your arrow out of the sand bank behind each of those things and you just keep going like that's 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 how everyone did remember that it was like the broadhead shoots. Oh, yeah, and I, well i used to shoot tournaments um you know when i was in junior high and high school broadhead tournaments you know there'd always be broadhead tournaments towards the fall and that's what it was you you had silhouettes of it could be a white tail it could be a elk whatever that were in front of sand banks and then there was a roll of masking tape that hung on one of the those posts and you'd go and stand at your line and and shoot with your fixed blade broadhead and then you'd score it and then you'd put tape over your hole. So the next guy that came yep, um, yep. would shoot. And, and uh, so I used to shoot a lot of tournaments like that. There was one by, right by my hometown where I grew up in Wisconsin called the Nesita, the Wisconsin bow hunter. Oh shoot. yeah. It used to be a huge deal. Dude, and, uh, I didn't know you lived there. I used to go up to that yeah. shoot. Yep. I grew up uh, just a little bit south of there. I grew up in Mauston right by Wisconsin, in between Nesita and Wisconsin Dells. That's where I grew up. Oh, that's hilarious! Yeah, I used to go to that tournament. I'd drive up from uh, from McHenry, Illinois. I'd drive up there to shoot that uh, because it was a pretty big shoot. A lot of people knew about that yep. one. That one oh, in yeah. uh, Jane, Janesville bow bow uh, Janesville bow hunters, I think it was. Uh, yeah. They had one as well. Um, there was another one east of there. Uh, I'm trying to think which one that one was. That was a big one too. Southern Wisconsin had a, quite a few uh, really cool tournaments like that. But uh, the other thing was the very first day I went to Matthews, the first day ever, I drove up uh, mainly because I was trying to think where I was going. I was, I think I was somewhere north of Rochester, Minnesota. Um, I went up to pick up a load of bulls um, because in the – mid 90s you know my family had a big a big ranch operation we had a ton of horses i think we had like 256 horse stalls and we did um in the winter time we would buy all the bull or we would lease all the bulls um that they would buck for the pbr they were they were kind of the main bull guy um you know he was kind of a i don't know i, I guess he kind of leased them out to the pbr but he was right there in southern minnesota so i drove from southern wisconsin up to to pick up like i don't know i think i got like 15 bulls or something 
And as I was driving back through, I realized, oh, this is where Matthews is from. So I pulled over and I literally went inside and that was the first time I met Matt and Joel. You know, Matthews was super small then. They had just moved to Sparta and I'm literally, you know, in my Wranglers and my freaking cowboy boots and I'm talking to him about, because that was going to be my rookie year, and Joel had just uh, offered me a free bow to, sh- to shoot uh, my rookie year with a Matthews. So I was kind of popping in to put a name with a face. And as I'm, I think we talked a little bit, and then about 5 o'clock we were getting ready to leave. And I walked outside, and we're standing by my truck, and Brad pulled up with some block targets in the back of his truck, like some of the very first ones, they weren't even the same color. And he's yep. like, he's like, Hey, um, me and me and Larry have this idea for this new target. And we can you know, Larry told me to drive down here and show you guys and see what you thought. So he like gets it out and he's like talking about it and stuff. And he's like, what do you think you guys would pay for something like this? Like it, I don't even know if you guys were selling them yet. This was like, I think it was the end of 96 might've been, it might've been 97, but, uh, I remember it didn't have, there was no labels on it. Nothing. It was just, you know, I think the first one was I'm going to guess 12 or 18 inches maybe is all it was. Yeah. And I remember yeah, eight, I, uh, what was it? Eighteen, eighteen, fourteen. It was a portable. It's called. Yeah, I remember. Uh, he said, "You know, what do you do? You think people would buy these?" And I said, "Well, I'll buy it." And he goes, "What do you mean?" I said, "I'll buy that one right there." And he goes, "What would you get for it?" And I think I said, "Well, I got fifty bucks." And he's like, "Okay." <laughs> I remember I bought that one for fifty dollars out of the back of Brad's truck in front of Matthews and it was like 1996 or 97 and yep. I had that I had that target until I moved to Iowa I had that t- and actually I was looking at it and it was like barely hanging together with like one band and I'm like I'm just gonna leave you here <laughs> yeah but, and those you know that that I was in retail at that time. I was at the Gander Mountain Retail Store in La Crosse. That's where I worked when I was um, in college, and uh, and they came in and we could buy things at our retail store. We had a, you know, back in the day when there was that was there was only probably six or seven Gander Mountain retail stores at the time, and and uh, we still had like a store kitty we could buy products with, and they came in and I I. Uh, I'm like, yeah, we'll buy a couple of them. I mean, every other target on the thing was like 20 bucks, you know, 15 bucks, 20 bucks. And this thing was 50, you know, and I'm like, I don't know that we'll ever sell them, but it seems like a good idea. And, uh, yeah, we started selling some, I know we were one of the first retailers ever to, uh, to sell them. So they were, they were based in White Bear Lake and, uh, in the cities. And, and I know those guys, you know, I've known Joel for, a long, long time. Joel and Matt, you know, I got to know those guys when I was there because they would come in and buy guns from our retail store all the time. <laughs> well, and, uh, well, Matt, so, Matt bought guns like a machine. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember I got to go tour the factory, and you know, we didn't sell Matthews at my store, obviously, but the shop that I would shoot leagues at and um, tournaments for, and do all the different stuff for back in the day at Lacrosse Archery Wally back in the day. And uh, <laughs> oh my, I yeah. got my. I remember I got to go up and get, I got a bow and, and, uh, gosh, that was probably 90, 
97, I suppose it was. And anyway, I, you know, I've been shooting those things ever since. But yeah, it's just it's amazing when you start talking about these things how how long I've been doing this and how old I feel actually. <laughs> who was the big guy, who was the big guy that was your manager there? He was a taller guy but kind of a little bit broader. Well, there was two. Mike Olson who now works at at uh Matthews. Um, he was my direct manager when I first started in retail, Oli, and then Scott Murphy. Scott, was the, Scott the is who it yeah. was. Did you when you and came I on know, your tour? Did you come with Scott when you came by? Yeah, yeah. I remember you guys. Mm-hmm. I remember you guys coming. Yeah, because I think Matt was trying to buy like wasn't he buying like a a pistol a week or something? Oh yeah, yeah. He was buying a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I still get along with Scott. You know, I see him all the time. In fact, his, his brother-in-law, Brad's one of my best friends. I'm going this afternoon, um, up to his cabin to, to help him do some, plant some food plots actually. But yeah, Scott's a good guy. I've, I've kept in contact with him forever. What's, uh, what's coming on the, is there anything coming forward that, well, I guess what I have to ask you, otherwise my followers are going to punch me in the face. You better give them an update on the Sherlock, dude. (laughs) Sorry to throw you under the bus, but I need to. No, Sherlock's been a, you know, it's been a, this year we've been developing that product. You know, we started middle of last year and, you know, oftentimes when you have something that's as complicated as that particular it is, I'm not saying it's complicated when the end user is going to use it. It's complicated. Just like you said, the engineers have come up with some really, really cool designs, and, and uh, it's very unique, and there's a lot of cool features on them. And uh, so to get those things, when it comes to sourcing those parts, when you have to find a place to machine this or do this, and when it comes to the materials that go into it, there's all kinds of different things that you have to, and like you said earlier, you have to depend on, these vendors to supply you with the parts and the, the pieces at prices that they quote you at. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a challenge to, to wrangle all those different moving parts and to, and get it done. And so, you know, uh, you know, you only have one chance, um, to make a first impression. And when we release this product, we want it to be perfect. And so we wanted it to make sure that, that we have every single right down to the, the screws perfect. And so, you know, we'll have it ready here um, this fall. I've, you know, I've just had one in my hand before I came over here, actually. So we'll we'll have them ready here pretty quick, and and I think that your, you know, your fans are gonna love them because they they truly are. And you and you had a lot of input in it as well. So you know, it's it's got a lot of cool features, and this is one of the things where especially um, our main design engineer is named Matt, and uh, you know, Matt is a passionate archer. He's uh, he loves target archery especially. He loves shooting 3D and he loves shooting punching paper. And, and uh, so this is a very passionate thing for him and he wants it to be perfect. And and, uh, and it is. I mean, when you see the, the finished product, you're going to you're gonna really like it. So we'll yeah. have him here ready in you know, probably, I'd say, a month and a half, two months. Yeah, and we um, – one of the things that was a problem was uh, the carbon. The carbon, what's really cool about the site is that it's – part carbon part aluminum and the carbon that that actually is going over the aluminum is a is a very unique process and there's just not very many places that can do that and one of the places that we thought was going to do it uh 
you know, just ended up falling through. So then it's, you know, back to the drawing board to find in the place that can do it at the quality that we want, but also do it so that the site isn't unaffordable. Um, so that was a big hurdle, but Matt did send me, I've got, uh, I've got the hunting attachment right now. And, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely going the right direction, but I will say, um, it's a gen one. And if we would have just brought people would have probably said, Hey, see some things different. So, um, I really feel like, I really feel like the time that we're taking to get this out is for a very, very valid reason, because this site that he sent me right now, I told him, I'm like, dude, this looks like something a total nerded out 3d guy would be using. Like we gotta, we gotta get this thing a little bit smaller and and condense it down some for the hunter. Um, so that's what he's going to do, you know? So it, it was a good, it was a good first poke at it, but, um, the site itself, I couldn't be happier with. I shot it all year, really like mine and looking forward to seeing this next generation of hunting attachment. And then I think we're going to be mm-hmm. able to have an awesome crossover site. Yep. No, it is. I just, just saw that the other day too. I mean, it's, it's impressive. So, you know, and that, that being said, you know, you look at Sherlock and, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, when I was here at field logic, when we bought that company in 2010, when we bought Sherlock and, you know, my old partner, Larry, you know, one of his biggest goals was to really build on the, uh, the bow press business. And, and the sites themselves were kind of, I'm not going to say they were overlooked, but they weren't put to the forefront of what it was. And that's what really made Sherlock what it was. And so when we bought this company, Field Logic in, in 2015, you know, one of the main things I wanted to do was try to reculminate that brand because, when, you know, when I was a rep back in the, the 90s um, and early 2000s, you know, Sherlock was king. It was king of the planet. Like, I couldn't – that well – I remember I not being able to afford it. Afford it. Never, I yeah. could never afford one. Yeah, I mean, when I got that first Matthews bow, Scott Knife, that was our main goal was to be able to get a Sherlock site. And that was in, you know, the, the, the late 90s, and I wanted that site so bad. I, I saved my money, and I ended up buying a – a silver challenger, you know, which was the, the lower end site, but I had a Sherlock and it said Sherlock on it and I'd use it to shoot all my tournaments. And, and, uh, you know, I wanted one so bad. And, and then I had to sell against Sherlock for several years. I rep for a different, uh, sight line back then. And, uh, you know, I, they were the, that was the, the site to have. And so my goal, you know, when we, when we ended up buying that company and, and is to reculminate that brand and bring Sherlock back to, to what it was and, and, you know, make people want to shoot a Sherlock site. And, you know, I think with this, these new sites that we're offering, especially the Carbonic, um, you know, I think it's going to take a big, huge step forward once we, we launch these things. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be the site. And I, one thing I'll say too, I couldn't say this before because before Faradine bought Field Logic, I could never say this, but, um, Larry, Larry was an awesome dude. Obviously he's done a lot of big innovations and a lot of big, big things for the industry, but he was also the boss. And like anyone who deals with a boss at work, you realize that there's times where you pick and choose your battles. And for whatever reason, when 
Larry and and Mike at the time decided to rekindle Sherlock. For whatever reason, Larry totally jumped in on that icon, and he wanted things. And I was I remember just saying, Larry, as a target archer, this is not does not matter or this isn't practical. And it was it was apparent after two meetings. Everyone just kind of looked around and said, "Okay, Larry's got Larry is like this is his baby." So no one there's no one's going to change his mind on these things. So we kind of had to just go to <laughs> go to market with that icon. And I was deep down I was like, "I'm still going to shoot my Supreme." <laughs> and and it unfortunately it did have a negative impact on the Sherlock name. And it was because it wasn't a true target blooded site. Like it didn't come from a target archer. It came from, you know, a guy that was a hunter and thought that he could market it to hunters and kind of use hunting lingo to target archers. And the bottom line is that's just not going to happen. So it's awesome that this site now is literally between myself, Levi and Matt, um, there's some the input and the output is going to be a hundred percent coming from the right place and people are going to appreciate that once it hits the market yep and you know that being said you know that (laughs) you talk about larry and i've you know i worked with larry for a long long time and that's kind of the way it was and and uh you know i you can't discount larry larry is He's really smart and he has the best timing of any person I've ever met. And, you know, I've hunted all over the world with Larry. I've, I've, I've been with him and, and I, I love him to death. You know, it's just one of those things where working with him can be, you know, there's a lot of times where the only way you can win him over is to make him think it's his idea. And then, then he'll believe it, you know? And, uh, so oftentimes when I worked with him, that's what I'd always have to do. I'd, I'd, I'd get him thinking on a certain path and then get him to think that this was his idea when it wasn't. And then, then he'd make it. But, um, yeah, it was always a challenge. It was always fun. Um, well, I'm not going to say it was always fun. <laughs> it but, wasn't uh, fun. It was, it was always interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 It's awesome because, you know, there's certain people that are amazing in the business world and they're amazing for certain industries because of that aspect it's a challenge to work with, but honestly, when you have the right people around those people, um, they figure out a way to maneuver those things. And that mentality of what you're saying, it is so consistent. (laughs) Like the amount of people that I know that say that exact same thing is just staggering. I mean, it's, it's a lot. And I did a podcast with uh, my buddy Andy and and Jocko, and we actually talked about this a little bit. We just, uh, I kind of talked about picking and choosing your battles, and and Jocko said, um, you know, with a lot of the big businesses that he speaks at, that's one of the things that he talks about is, you know, learning how to navigate those things and, you know, picking and choosing your battles and, and, uh, you know, learning to to give them a couple nuggets so that you can kind of get to where you're wanting to go through the back door so to speak and uh yeah that whole situation with larry was a prime example of that yeah and that 
one example of that is we came out with in probably 2008 or nine. Uh, we had brought a couple new guys on at the time. One was Mike and one was Jay. And, uh, there was a trip, there was a couple things that I wanted to do and I, I could not get them done. And, and, uh, one, they were, one was a bag target and one was a low price point, uh, deer target and we could not get them done. I couldn't get Larry convinced that we needed to do them. Well, Larry went to Africa for a couple weeks and, uh, <laughs> Jay, Jay was this market or this, uh, manufacturing guru. And I said, Jay, while Larry's gone, I said, let's design bag targets and let's design a low price point 3d target that we can make. And we, I want to sell 3d target for a hundred bucks or less. And I want to have, um, bag targets. Like we have to have these things. My reps keep telling me we got to have them. I know we got to have them. He doesn't want them. Let's just do them. But so when he gets back, he can't say no. All right. So we, we spent two weeks developing, figuring out all the different pieces and parts that we had to do to get these targets brought to market. And, and, uh, by the time Larry got back, we had them done and he gets back and we had a, our manager's meeting on uh, Wednesdays. And I remember having that meeting and I'm like, here's what we're going to do. And he just about flew through the roof. He's like, we're not doing this. We're not going to do this. And I'm like, it's too late. We're already doing it. And he's just <laughs> losing it. And, and now, lo and behold, you know, they're multi-million dollar categories for us and our hurricane bag targets and our shooter buck target. Um, we ended up doing that and, and they, they started selling like wildfire. And he, he, next year at ATA show, he's like, you know, you know, it's great. You know, he was talking to a couple of buyers. I can't remember which one it was, but there, you know, he's like, when I came up with this, this is what it was going to be. And Jay and I looked at each other like face palm, but, but anyway, <laughs> they ended up. So yeah, it's a cool story. A lot of cool stories of things that we do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, is there anything? Well, one thing I wanted to talk about, you were, uh, you were mentioning before we go, uh, well, two things, probably one of them is, you did have a little target panic issue. What was, uh, yeah. what was, you actually had it really bad and we were able to work for, was it one or two times maybe? Yeah, a couple times. How's it, how's it, has it come back or is it good? No, it's, it's good. You know, as long as I, I keep practicing the way that we did, you know, I practice all summer like that and, and, uh, and it was good, you know, I ended up being really good last year. I made some great shots on the animals that I, I shot last year and you know that's always been my you know my biggest challenge I, I've always been able to seem seems like I've always been able to shoot the animals when it comes down to the practice part I just get get it in my head and and now this year you know I shot most of the summer and uh but I ended up hurting my shoulder really bad and uh so in fact right up until yeah I had to get an MRI a couple of weeks ago and and uh you know, I, the, the doctor that I'd seen first, you know, he's like, you probably shouldn't be shooting your bow, you know, but you know, I know you're stubborn and blah, blah, blah. So I was doing it. And then when I went to get my MRI, that doctor's like, do not shoot your bow. Like <laughs> your shoulder's really bad. And, uh, what is it? And of course, I, oh, I have a hole in my rotator cuff and then the front part of it is worn off. And then I have the back side of my socket is shot, so my my shoulder wants to dislocate, and uh, that's what happened. Several different things. and my biceps tendon doesn't stay where it's supposed to be, so it's always coming out. So I have all these different features at once. So I was told to go do. I have to do this physical therapy to get my shoulder ready for surgery because I they can't even give me surgery at this point because it's so bad. So um, and it's weakened and all this stuff. Anyway, of course I didn't listen again and. I was shooting my bow just right up until 
the end of last week and uh, Monday I went in for my physical therapy and he chewed me out and he's like, you cannot shoot your bow. Like, I don't know how else to emphasize this to you. So, um, <laughs> no. so I, I literally that I had two of my, um, my sales guy, my VP of sales, Chris, and, uh, our national sales manager, Aaron, we were on a conference call and I was shooting, we have a range in our office here and I was shooting my bow as we were on the conference call and I was just packing arrows just packing them in there and Aaron's like you're really shooting that bow well I'm like yeah and I would have never been able to shoot in front of people like that um before last year like there's no way I could do it and uh so I was shooting and I'm like really confident in how I was shooting and everything and now I can't now I can't do it so it's going to create some interesting things that I've got to face here with hunting season coming up yeah well I mean the mouth tab thing is it it's not really that hard. It's just a matter of how quick you can build confidence to do it. I remember um, I probably practiced for like two or three weeks, and I'm like, you know what? If it's 25 yards or less, I can kill whatever I shoot at. And I went on a turkey hunt first, and I remember as soon as a Jake came in that was illegal, I'm like, this thing's going to die. <laughs> like, I want to shoot this thing so bad. And as soon as I shot that first turkey with my mouth, then it was just like, okay, this is a challenge. Um, so it's fun. It's didn't, a, you it, that, didn't you shoot that turkey in the head or in the neck? Yeah, one of them I lopped off. Yeah, yeah. one, <laughs> one. Um, yeah, I, I shot three. I ended up shooting six turkeys with my mouth, and then I shot two black bears, a grizz, and can't remember if i shot some hogs in the summer um but yeah it's it's not that tough i've got a i i mean which can you still shoot which shoulder is gone my right shoulder so it's my drawing arm and it it, and honestly drawing my bow does not hurt at all it's well that's better that's better that would be that would be way easier see mine was my left arm so i had to learn to shoot a left-handed bow with my left eye so that's what was hard if you can still use your bow arm you could probably convert over pretty quick you want me to send you my used mouth tab (laughs) yeah that'd be perfect (laughs) i was thinking about it like where where the hell do i even find a mouth tab like i was gonna start googling it i'll give you i'll give you mine i'll give you mine yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah i wanted to uh i wanted to try doing that because i'm gonna you know, I'm going to have to do something because I'm not going to not hunt. So yeah. it's like, um, you know, you know, if you shoot a mouth tab, John, you know, the thing that will help you more than anything is a freaking IQ site with the retina lock. Yeah. That was the one thing like for me, cause I was having to learn to shoot technically a left-handed bow. So my right hand didn't really understand bow torque and stuff. Having that retina lock I mean, I was struggling at first, and my arrow flight was sometimes wacky. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put an IQ on there because I'm only going to shoot 20, 30, 40 yards. And and I, I kind of wanted that retina lock. Once I did that, I was like, oh, my God. I'm torquing the bow so bad, and every time it was different. Once I started paying attention to that, it was night and day. I mean, night and day. It was it was a huge deal. Huge. Yeah. Well, I'll try it. We'll talk about it later. All right. Well, I can send you my mouth tab. It's kind of like when someone borrows you their face mask. 
Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Here, have my face mask. Be like, oh, great. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to smell that all day. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least, at least we got one infamous, uh, John impersonation there at the beginning when you're talking about carbon express. Yeah. (laughs) John is John. The best part about, Every meeting that I sit in with John is a matter of at what point he's going to impersonate someone, and these characters come out to where. He, <laughs> <laughs> what? How do you do me? Like when I'm not there? Uh, and, and, I don't know, but everybody. The thing is, most what most people say is I only have like three, and they become whatever it is. You know, I've got a <laughs> couple of them that I, I have, and you know, I only can speak one foreign language and you know that that accent transcends you know multiple nationalities and so yeah it's always a joke amongst people (laughs) yeah it is it is i love it when you do it it's hilarious all right man well thanks a lot for coming on i appreciate the heck out of it and uh yeah hope your shoulder gets better and uh i'll do what i can to help you through that no doubt is there anything you want to talk about coming up or anything you think people need no, to know we, even safety wise or maintenance wise or anything like that? No, you know, I think, you know, right now is when people should be really practicing and, and, uh, you know, using those targets that we make and, and, you know, practicing with their equipment. That's all I, you know, it's just so important to practice and, and the time you spend shooting your bow, it, it's, it gives you that confidence and, and, you know, when, it, when you're out there hunting and, and making a good ethical shot on an animal and, you know, there's a lot of cool things that we've got coming out for, for 2019, you know, take a, take a close look at what we've got coming out for raids this year. Um, it's going to be pretty, pretty revolutionary groundbreaking stuff. We've got some, some really cool stuff on the, in the site world on the IQ site line. We've got some really cool stuff with that. Um, you know, we've got lots of cool things that that'll be coming out this year for 2019. So stay tuned and you'll see what, uh, see what we can do. You know, it's, it's, it's my favorite thing. You know, I, I love, you know, they're bro- I'm very passionate about broadheads obviously. And, and to me, you know, my goal when we do revolutionize and do the things that we do is, you know, there's a lot of broadheads out there, like I say, and I want people to shoot our new broadhead. I don't want them to go to another company that has this new widget or twist or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I want them to have that confidence in our brand and our, our companies and, and use what we have. And it's the same thing that I'll say with Muzzy. You know, we've got some really cool new Muzzy broadheads coming out as well as Wacom. You know, we've got some really cool new broadheads coming out from Wacom. And, uh, you know, we've got lots of, of cool stuff that'll be coming out for 2019. So, um, some stuff for people to look forward to for sure. Yeah. Well, I want to look forward to you get me it before it's on the market punk. Yeah, we will. We will. (laughs) We've got, uh, you know, we've got some prototypes coming back of this new Rage one here pretty quick, and, and we'll have some of those in our hands here shortly. So we'll awesome. try to get you some so you can pop something with it. Oh, yeah. Well, that will happen. All right, buddy. Well, everyone, this is uh, John Severson, and uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Another Knock On podcast. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com. <laughs>